All right, time to grab your Bible and stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be on page 1018 in the Bibles around the room. That's 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. At the end of the reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond, thanks be to God, because indeed, this is the inspired word of God that we are so thankful for. So 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you've given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. He's the one that gives us words to talk to other about your son, Jesus, and what it means to have Jesus, Lord, in our lives. Awaken us now to hear your word through Pastor Kyle. Father, open our ears. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Living Stones. How are we doing? Everybody's good about that baby back there, right? <laughs> uh, we are glad. Um, one thing I just want to say is we're, that's one thing we're glad about having at our church is we love having babies. And you guys like to have a lot of babies at Living Stones. And so uh, if, you, if it bothers you that there's sometimes babies crying in here, you're just going to have to get over that because God has given life to our church. All right. And so we are excited about that. Um, you guys seem like you drank coffee this morning, unlike the nine, so I appreciate that. And you guys can engage with this sermon as much as you want to give glory to God. Uh, we believe at Living Stones that the Bible is God's very words to us. We believe that God has spoken and that the Bible is God's words to us. So if you're a guest at Living Stones, if you're somebody here, uh, that's what we believe. And you're welcome here to come, even if you don't believe that, if you have a lot of questions Um, if you maybe even have some skepticism towards it or whatever brought you here, you are welcome here to ask those questions, to, to, to investigate with us. But what we want you to know is this is what we believe. This is what the Bible claims for itself, that these are the very words of God. And right now we're going through a series called Advent. And Advent simply means the arrival of a very important person. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is the first Advent of Jesus Christ. It's the coming of this, the the most important person, God in the flesh, coming to us. And so during the Advent season, all over the globe, Christians gather together to remember that he came and also that he's coming again. Amen, church? And so this uh, Advent season, we're doing something a little different at Living Stones. A lot of times we'll talk about uh, Advent as it pertains to us, with kind of us at the focus point. But this year we're doing Advent from God's perspective. And uh, what we see about God in the Bible is that God is this mysterious person. There is one God, but he eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one of those persons has always been God and will always be God. And so God is one, yet he's always existed into, uh, in, in this sort of community. And so uh, for this sermon series, we're, we're doing, uh, we have some art up here. And so this 
uh, wreath represents the Advent wreath, but then this is a symbol of the ancient Trinity. It's a symbol of, uh, it's an ancient symbol of the Trinity. And so what we see here is there's one God. God is the Spirit. God is the Father. God is the Son, but the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Father's not the Son. There's three distinct persons. And so through this Advent season, we've been looking at what each person's role is in the time of Advent and in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to hone in on the the Holy Spirit. We're going to hone in on the person of the Holy Spirit. Now I say, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not like an impersonal force, like, may the force be with you. Like, he's a person. And the, the Holy Spirit has a role in the advent of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to find out that that role is to proclaim that he's coming, he came, and he's coming again. To proclaim it. When you think of Christmas spirit, what do you think of? Elves? (laughs) Somebody's got elves on their mind. (laughs) Buddy the elf, uh, Santa, elf on the shelf, cookies. I think of Pastor Gavin listening to freaking Christmas music in July. He used to drive me crazy. I have a strict no Christmas music before Thanksgiving policy because I'm a godly man. But Gavin used to listen to Christmas music in July and turn it way up. So I had to listen to it. And he'd whisper to me, he's coming. Just so creepy. He was always listening to Christmas music. Um, So maybe you think of that. Maybe you think of um, Buddy the Elf, the great theological classic. Uh, You know, and Buddy, what does he say? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And you know what? There's some real truth to what he's saying there. Because when we look at real Christmas spirit, when we look at the Holy Spirit, the Christmas spirit, what has he been doing since the beginning of scripture? He's been singing loud for all to hear that the Christ is coming. He's been singing loud for all to hear that the Christ has come. And now through the church filled with the Holy Spirit, he's singing loud for all to hear that he's coming again. And this is what we're going to look at. Today And so my main point for today is real simple. It's uh, Christmas spirit filling leads to joyful Christ proclaiming. Christmas spirit filling leads to joyful Christ proclaiming. And uh, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to look at five characters through the Christmas story who are filled with the Holy Spirit. But before we get there, I just want to see, I want to prove to you in the Bible that this is what the Bible claims. Look at 2 Peter. You guys had your Bibles open there. Uh, Verse 20. Peter says this to the church, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. So when you are picking up your Bible, you're not reading men's interpretation. You're not reading their own opinions. This was written by men and it has men's personality in it, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Everything that is recorded in these words here is, is from the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God. When you open your Bible and read, it's like God is breathing over us. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 or 3, 16 claims it like this. It says, 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. This is breathed out by God. This is the words of God. From beginning to end of the Bible, the Holy Spirit has proclaiming that Christ has come. So Christmas spirit filling leads to holy Christ proclaiming. So like I said, we're going to do five characters in the Christmas story. So normally at Living Stones, we go through like one paragraph and like we break it down and you guys can be like lazy and just like sit there like you're zoning out watching TV. Today you have to work a little bit, okay? I'm going to make you use your fingers. You're going to have to flip, pay attention, flip through different passages of the Bible as we look at these five characters. So the first one is Isaiah. So everybody turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter seven. If you have a black hardback Bible around the room, that's on page 572 is where we're going to be, Isaiah 714. If you have a phone, it's really easy for you. You just click Isaiah 7, look at verse 14. Okay, if you have your own Bible, you don't know where that is, look at the table of contents in the front and you'll find Isaiah. Okay, here's the context of Isaiah. What we see with Isaiah is when he is filled with the Holy Spirit, he becomes a visionary of hope in dark times. A visionary of hope in dark times. The context of this passage is that God had given Israel the land, uh, the promised land, and they're, they're living there. And God had promised to him that he would always be faithful to Israel. And that one day he would send the Savior of the world through the nation of Israel. Particularly through the tribe of uh, Judah and the lineage of King David. And so uh, he had also made this promise that if the people of God were faithful to God and didn't worship other gods, that it would go well with them. But if they started worshiping other gods and abandoned the God of the Bible, the real God, that it would go bad for them and other nations would come and make war on them and God would use that to discipline them and judge his own people. But he would never give up on his promise to them. And so the context here is Israel at this point in time is broken up into two kingdoms. There's the southern kingdom of Judah and there's the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel, the northern kingdom, teams up with Syria to go and attack Judah and to take over the city of Jerusalem and to kill everybody inside of it and to set up their own puppet king. And so the people in Jerusalem and and the king named King Ahaz at the time, who was not a good dude, he sacrificed his own children to other gods, literally killed them as an act of worship. Uh, He was not a good dude, but they were scared because this army was coming to conquer them. So just imagine we're here in Sparks, you know, and like Vegas is coming to conquer us, okay? And like, and it says earlier in the passage, they were so scared they shook like the trees in the wind. And what God does, even though these people were sinners and the King Ahaz was a sinner, God wanted to show them that even when it felt like God had abandoned them, he had not abandoned them. And so, Uh, God says in verse 10 of chapter 7, he says, again, the Lord spoke to King Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, that is death, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. So God comes to Ahaz and and says, look, I want to give you a sign that I'm with you, that I'm not going to abandon you. So ask for me any sign, any miracle you want. And Ahaz is like, oh no, I won't put the Lord, your God, to the test which is kind of hypocritical because he, God is like saying, dude, you can ask me anything you want. And if God tells you that, you have permission to ask him. 
But King Ahaz, instead, he says, no, I don't want. But instead, what he did is he went to the Assyrian army and asked for their help anyways, instead of God. And so he says, no, I'm not going to do it. But then look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. God's like, fine, I'm going to give you a sign anyways. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. This was 730 years before Jesus was born. And so Isaiah is filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this time of darkness where the people of God felt like everything was falling apart, that they were going to die, where they were scared, where they felt like God had abandoned them, the Holy Spirit comes upon Isaiah and he gives a vision of hope. God's not going to abandon you. And not just for them, but for all in creation, the one sign of hope that God is not going to abandon us is a miracle birth. A virgin shall have a child. Now, you don't have to graduate sixth grade chair class to know that virgins don't have children. It's a miracle. God is doing what has never been done. It's a miracle. There is no Christianity without the virgin birth. Because it is a mere, it's God's sign to us saying that I am not going to abandon you, even though it seems like you're totally abandoned. And so it's also a miracle, not just because how Jesus was born by a virgin, but who he was. He says, you're going to name this child, this, be born to the virgin, you're going to name this child Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean, church? God with us. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ shows us not only that God isn't going to abandon us, but he actually wants to enter into us, into our fears, into our doubts, into our vulnerability. And so Isaiah here in this dark time has a vision of hope. And this is what it means to be filled with Christmas spirit. Is in dark times, you're a visionary of hope. This is why Christians hang lights on their houses and their trees. Um, that's a Christian tradition. It's been adopted by the rest of the world, but it started with Christians hanging lights. Now, they used to hang candles on trees and you know, have straw roof houses, and they realized that wasn't a good idea. So thank God for LED lights. But the reason we hang lights on our trees and, and put them on our houses is because when it gets dark, the Christians are saying, but hope is coming. We have a visionary of hope, and there is a God who's entered into our darkness with us. And so that's what we're called to be. Now, let's be honest. Christmas season isn't always cheery for a lot of people. In fact, I would say probably half of this room is going through some serious feelings of abandonment, some blues, maybe remorse over the loss of loved ones. And it's a dark time for you right now. And so our job is, as Christians is to be filled with the Spirit and to be visionaries of hope. Christmas Spirit filling leads to joyful Christ proclaiming. And part of this is this, you know what? It feels dark right now, but God is with us. And he's coming again. And this evil, crappy world isn't how it's always going to be. So the second character, we're going to fast forward 730 years. Ready? Go. Boom. Done. Luke chapter 1. Turn to Luke chapter 1. In the Bibles we said around the room, that's on page 856. 856. 
The second character who shows us what it's like to be filled with Christmas spirit is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is, uh, she is the mother of John the Baptist. Now, God had made a promise that he was sending a savior, but before the savior would come a great prophet named John the Baptist. And the role of the prophet is he was basically going to roll out the red carpet for the Christ to come. He was going to prepare the way, prepare, prepare people's hearts. And this guy was called John the Baptist. Now his mother and father were old and they were beyond the age of childbearing. And for whatever reason, they were barren. Elizabeth couldn't have a child. And Zechariah, her husband, was a priest. And so one day, Zechariah is doing his priestly duties and an angel visits him. And he says, hey, I got good news for you. Your wife's pregnant. And um, you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah didn't believe. And so the angel's like, okay, here's your sign. You're going to be mute for the entire pregnancy. (laughs) You won't be able to speak. And it happened. And then Elizabeth got pregnant. And uh, the angel told John that this child was going to be John the Baptist, the one who was going to prepare the way for the Savior to come. And so Elizabeth is pregnant. And she's, you know, doing her pregnancy thing. And then her relative is Mary, the Virgin Mary. And an angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. She's like, I'm a virgin. How's that going to happen? She's like, yeah, exactly. The Holy Spirit. You're the one. You're the one promised about in Isaiah. You're going to have a baby. And the baby is going to be the savior of the world. You're going to call him Emmanuel because he will be God with us. You're the one. And so Mary's like, ah, okay, how do I believe this? I accept this, this mission. And the angel said, here's how you can believe. Here's your sign. Your relative, Elizabeth, who wasn't supposed to have a baby because she's beyond the age of childbearing, she's pregnant. Go and see. And so that's where we pick up this part with Elizabeth. It says, verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary goes to her her relative's house. Elizabeth knocks on the door. When she opens up the door, Elizabeth sees Mary uh, and, and her womb. John the Baptist is like, there's the Christ. Inside Mary's tummy is the Christ. And so what we see from Elizabeth is this. To be filled with Christmas spirit is to become a joy-filled encourager. A joy-filled encourager. First of all, she's filled with joy. She said, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. It says here that when she saw and realized what was happening, she exclaimed loudly. She proclaimed loudly with a loud voice. Meaning this, if you have seen the Christ, it is appropriate to sing to God with a loud voice. Okay, y'all say amen, but I hear us when we sing. We're like, hallelujah. Like, we're all so afraid of giving praise to God. But to be filled with Christmas spirit is to not be able to help yourself and to sing to God with a loud voice because he's worthy of our praise. And the thing that makes her filled with joy 
is because she knows that this is an act of grace. She says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to visit me? You see, if you think that you are deserving of God's presence in your life, you'll never have joy over the fact that he came. But if you know the darkness of your heart, if you know how sinful you really are, and you realize that God came to love you anyways, then you'll have real joy. Christianity is a message of grace. It's good news for bad people, not good advice for good people. And when you realize that you're bad and messed up and screwed up, but God has entered into history to love you anyways, then you'll scream loudly with joy. And that's what happens. So she's filled with joy. And then she becomes an encourager. She says, blessed are you among women. Mary, how cool is it? You get to have God. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And blessed out is the fruit of your womb. Like, And the child within your womb is blessed by God. And then she says to Mary in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth says to Mary, and because you believed the angel, blessed are you. Because you had faith. And so this is what it is to be a picture of somebody who's filled with the Spirit is you become a joy-filled encourager. That's what the church is supposed to be. Look at what Hebrews says in 10.25. It says uh, this. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The job of the church is to encourage one another. What if Living Stones became a church that was known as the encouragers? And those guys, you just go there and they're just encouraging you. They're encouraging you in the faith. They're encouraging that you're loved by God. They're encouraging you that even though it's hard to believe in Jesus sometime, you're doing it. But the problem is, is especially around Christmas time, I think, is we get so consumed with our own gifts, our own presents, our own parties, that our focus is all on ourselves and we're not encouraging other people. And so, and then sometimes we treat like church worship services, like a tribalistic competition. Like, oh, our church is better than your church. Oh, you're playing that song? We're playing this song. Oh, you're doing Advent from your perspective? We're doing Advent from God's perspective. Like, but what if we became a church that wasn't looking to critique other churches, but was simply looking to encourage other churches to continue in the faith? That is our job. To be filled with Christmas spirit means you are looking to other people to encourage. And I tell you what, Mary needed to hear these words. She was, because growing up in a religious society and being pregnated by the Holy Spirit, where people certainly wouldn't believe that message, she was going to be outcasted, ignored. She might even not be put out of the synagogue to not be able to worship. She was going to be somebody who was going to be rejected. And she needed to hear encouraging words. I know that it's dark right now, but you keep up the faith. And I'm telling you right now, as a pastor, I know a lot of lives going on in the people in here. And there's a lot of people in our church who need encouragement. A lot of marriages in here are on the brink of divorce. A lot of people feel lonely and sad because they've lost loved ones in the last year. A lot of people are struggling with their faith and they're just wrestling of whether or not they can believe, whether or not they can trust the Bible. And you know what they need right now? Encouragement. But what it's going to require from us is to be filled with the Holy Spirit for that to happen. 
And when we do that, we'll start encouraging one another. So, the next character in our story is Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is uh, a guy who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he becomes an excited evangelist. Zechariah, as I just said, is Elizabeth's husband, an old guy. And he's been mute for the whole pregnancy of his son, John the Baptist. And it's actually kind of a funny narrative. Because when he has the son, everybody uh, starts motioning signs to him about what they should name him. And I think that's really funny because he's mute. He can't speak. He's not deaf. He can hear people, but they treat him like he's deaf. So they're like motioning. He's like, I can hear you, you idiots. And he like grabs a chalkboard and he writes, his name is John. (laughs) And so as soon as he writes that and the baby's born, he can be able to speak. And when he can speak and he holds his son, John the Baptist, who was the great prophet to pave the way for Jesus, this is what he says in verse 67. It says, and his father Zechariah was filled with who? The Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, speaking of John the Baptist, child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately just starts proclaiming all these truths. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament, he's stringing together all these promises and prophecies and he just basically nerds out on everybody. And he just starts saying, it's happening. He can't help contain himself. The spirit fills him and he's like, I got to proclaim God's greatness. That's what it means to be spirit filled. You just start proclaiming the greatness and the excellencies and the mighty works of God. And if you pay attention to what he says, he's like, here, I got something to say. First of all, God's visited us. Hallelujah. And he's redeemed us. He's purchased us out of our slavery to sin and, and, and uh, our corruption. Uh, he's raised up a horn of salvation, meaning a king who would conquer all other kings. He saved us from our enemies. They thought at the time it was wrong, but it is a much greater enemy of Satan, sin, and death. Uh, he's shown us mercy that was promised to us, to our fathers. He kept his, his promises and he fulfilled his covenant. And he's given us this, this great prophet who's gonna pave the way for the Lord. And he's gonna proclaim that we, our sins can be forgiven. Listen to me, church. Your sins can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. And it shows us the tender mercy of God. And then he ends his thing by saying, this son, Jesus Christ, is going to be like the sun that rises after a dark night. He says there's a lot of people sitting in darkness, sitting in the valley of the shadow of death, but Jesus will be the sunrise that comes and gives them hope. And so he just starts proclaiming it. That's what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. As you just like start going around to your friends. Man, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you how great God is. I got to proclaim the mighty excellencies of his name. He becomes an excited 
evangelist. Now, an evangelist, that word, don't be afraid of that word. That word just means a broadcaster. Like when we watch the news, they're bad news evangelists. <laughs> they're like, the, the evangelist just means a, a broadcaster of good news. So when you watch the news, you're watching people who are a lot of times delivering bad news. But as Christians, we get to be the hope, the broadcasters of good news to a broken and dying world. We get to be evangelists. We get to be excited. You see, this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As a pastor, a lot of people come up to me and they say, Are you, is your church spirit-filled? And if you're familiar with the church world, what they're asking is, do you guys believe like in speaking in tongues and miracles and like uh, people running around and, and uh, being slain in the spirit and stuff like that? And we do believe in miracles. We do believe that God does uh, visions and signs and prophecies and all that. But that's not what it means to be spirit-filled according to the Bible. Every time you read the phrase spirit-filled, the, the Holy Spirit filled you in the Bible, it always is followed by somebody proclaiming the mighty excellencies of God. So anywhere where the, the Bible, anywhere where there's people preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are spirit-filled because that's what it means to be spirit-filled is to proclaim the mighty excellencies of God's name and to proclaim what he's done. Now, I want you to notice, it says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was passive in this. The Holy Spirit came upon him. To be filled with Christmas spirit isn't to take hold of the spirit. It's for the spirit to take hold of you. It's for the spirit to overcome you. Reminds me of a story of the great preacher D.L. Moody in the 1800s. There was a lot of uh, people in England who wanted him to come over from America to preach in England so that revival might happen. So they were praying for it. And, and an old guy at one of the churches said, well, um, what's up with this D.L. Moody? I mean, He's inexperienced, he's young, he doesn't really know a lot, he's uneducated. Like, it's not like he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. And the whole congregation was like, yeah, you're right. But then a young wise pastor stood up in the back and said, no, sir, he doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. That's why we need him to speak. Because when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you can't but help proclaim the glories of God's name. And so as a church, Zechariah challenges us because he challenges us to ask the question, are we really filled with Christmas spirit? What dominates our conversation? The presence under our Christmas tree or the presence of God in the flesh? What are we more excited about? Do we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news? Because if it's good news, we're going to talk about it. Sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, like sometimes I feel like, oh, I probably won't share the gospel with my friends because I'm like, it's good news to me, but they're sinners. It probably won't be good news to them. But what does he say here? What does Zechariah say? It says that the coming of Jesus is like the sun rising for those who were caught in the shadow of death. Gives me the picture. Like, have you ever been lost in the woods? I said this last service too, but probably that's probably a bad illustration. Most of us probably haven't been lost in the woods at night. But imagine that you were lost in the middle of the woods at night. I've been caught in the middle of the wilderness at night by myself. It's scary. Because every little cone falling, you think it's a bear coming to kill you. And it's cold and it's terrifying and your mind starts playing tricks on you. And you're just praying that the Lord would make the sun rise even quicker. Because there's something about the presence of the sun that shows you the ways you should go, that helps calm your fears, and helps everything to be okay. And that's what Jesus does for the dark world. In church, we have the message of the sun. 
So let's proclaim him to this dark world. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, next uh, character in our story is the old man Simeon. It's going to be chapter 2. I'm helping you out here. You don't even have to turn the page, okay? Chapter 2, page 857 on the Bibles we said around the room. And uh, this guy is a faithful and devout follower of God. And, it said, and, and what happens here is Mary has the child Jesus. The shepherds come and worship him. And on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple, as according to custom, to have him circumcised and presented to God. And if you look at verse 25, it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by who? The Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And so there's this dude named Simeon. He's an old guy. He's an average Joe kind of guy, but he loves God. And it says that he, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and one day he's filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit says to him, you need to go into the temple today, right now. And so he goes in and and little did he know that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to have him circumcised and presented to God on the same day at the same hour. And when he comes in, the Holy Spirit says, there he is, that's the Christ. And so this old man goes over and scoops him up and then he says these things and he starts by saying, now I can depart in peace. And what we see from Simeon is this, is that to be filled with the Holy Spirit means you are a satisfied worshiper. You become a satisfied worshiper. Picture what it was like for Simeon to realize that he was holding God. And he says, now I can depart in peace. I'm holding the savior of the world. And he says, particularly of Jesus as the savior, is that he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. It just means anybody who's non-Jewish, which is probably most of us in this room. And he's a light for glory to the people of Israel. And, And just think of it like this, like he's a light for revelation. Imagine being in a room with some, and you know that somebody else is in the room, but the lights are off. It's dark. You know somebody's there, but you don't know if you can trust them. You don't know if, uh, they, like, if they're going to hurt you or if they're going to help you. So what do you do if there's a light switch? You turn on the light switch. And the light brings revelation to who that person is. And so this guy Simeon says, this little baby is the light switch that will bring revelation to who God the Father is. He will show us who God is. He will, there, there's a real sense for all humanity that we know there is a God. Even, I believe, atheists know there's a God. That's why they hate him. Like, we know deep in our soul there's something beyond us. There is a higher power. There's this mysterious something out there. How do we know if we can trust him? Well, Jesus is the light switch. He shows us that we can trust in God and that he shows us what God is like. And so, Simeon is holding this baby Jesus and it probably seems foolish to the rest of the world. But Simeon knows because he's filled with the Holy Spirit that he is satisfied for he has seen the Lord. 
And he says, now I can depart in peace. If I were to die today, I'm good because I've seen God. Now, for us, what this means is, is uh, simple. Is there is no longer a temple. There is no longer a building where you go and to be in the presence of God. The Bible says that the church is now the temple. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And so when the church gathers, we are the temple. That's why we have the name Living Stones. Because every one of us makes up the living stones that build the temple where the presence of God is. And so there should be a real, a real presence that when we gather here together, we, we experience the real presence of God. So on a weekly basis, by the Spirit, we're led like Simeon into church. And then we should be able to say, like Simeon, now I can depart in peace because I've seen the Lord. Like when we gather here on Sunday and we hear from the Lord and we partake in the Lord's Supper, we should be able to say, if I'm to die this week, I'm good because I have seen the Lord. And when we have that kind of satisfaction, the world will want to listen to our message. Uh, the ancient Greeks used to have, um, they used to talk about giving a message. They, sort of, they would say, there's a few things that make a message powerful. Three words, logos, pathos, and ethos. Logos is your content. If you have good content, people will want to listen. Pathos is your emotion. If your emotion lines up with the content, people will be interested in listening. If it doesn't line up with the content, they're going to write you off. So if I say to you, I love you, my emotion lines up with the content. If I say, I love you, you're like, I'm not sure if I should listen to you. Okay? But the third thing is the most important thing for the Greeks. Ethos. And that's whether or not the presenter really believed it. Because if somebody gives you a message and they really believe it, it'll make others want to listen. And that's what we see here with Simeon. Is he really believed that he could depart in peace. He really believed that he had seen the Lord. And so now we're here reading him and we want to listen. And I'm telling you that many of the, much of the reason why people don't want to listen to the church is because the church says we believe it, but we don't act like we actually believe it. But if we could become a group of satisfied worshipers, people will want to hear what we have to say. And so that's the, the fourth character of what it looks like to be spirit-filled. Now to the last one. Now stay with me. One more. You guys can do it, okay? One more character. And the character is us. You might be asking the question, what does this have to do with me? I haven't seen baby Jesus. I wasn't there to witness the virgin birth. I haven't seen an angel. What does this have to do with me? Well, Jesus says for the church that you are filled with the Spirit. And like these other people who testified to the coming of Christ, you testify that, that the Christ has come. So I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's going to be to the right of, of Luke. You're going to go past John. Acts chapter 1, page 909. And so here's the context of the story. We're going to be in verse 6. Context of the story is this. Jesus has lived and died on the cross. He resurrected from the grave. People are blown away by it. He's appearing to people and he's about ready to send his disciples out to be missionaries to what they saw to the whole world. And in verse 6, it says this. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I love that about Jesus, don't you? People are like, are you going to restore all things? And he's like, it's not for you to know. You are on a need-to-know basis. Okay, church? Like, God doesn't need to reveal everything to us right now. Verse 8, but you will receive power when who? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when they had seen, he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now think about that. Jesus says, okay, you are going to be my witnesses to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, including Sparks, Nevada. And they're like, where's Sparks, Nevada? And they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, Jesus just goes up into heaven like a hot air balloon. And they're like baffled. And the angels just appear, and they're like, why are you guys looking into heaven? I'd be like, because he just floated up like a hot air balloon into heaven. <laughs> are you not paying attention? And the angels say, and the way you saw him go up into heaven, that's the way he's going to come down from heaven. You saw him go up, he will return again. A second advent is coming. And so what is our job in the meantime? To be baffled witnesses. Baffled witnesses. Jesus uses the word witness. What does a witness do? Simply this. You share what you've experienced. You share what you've seen. That's it. You don't have to be really intelligent to be a witness. You just have to experience something and share it. You don't have to be a great public speaker to be a witness. You just have to receive something, experience it, and then share what you've seen or experienced. You don't have to change people's mind as a witness. You just testify to your experience. And the job of the church who's filled with the Holy Spirit is to be a bunch of witnesses. It's not to change the minds of the public. It's not to, it's not to be great public speakers. The job of the church is just to testify that we have seen the Lord and the Lord is good. That's it. And every one of you has a story. Everyone, if we were to go around it, we could sit here for hours sharing about why you believe in Jesus and what, what is so significant for you. Well, because God has shown up in a lot of ways. Some of you are here because God answered prayers. Some of you are here because you've witnessed miraculous intervention. Some of you are here because you did the research and the study and you're like, you know what? The facts line up the most with Christianity. Some of you are here because you had a burden of guilt and shame, but then all of a sudden you found out that Jesus is a God who freely forgives and that burden was lifted. Some of you are here and you were trapped by anger. You were enslaved by it. But when you received the forgiveness of God, all of a sudden you became a kind person. Some of you are here because you were just overwhelmed with the anxieties and fears of life. But when you believed in Jesus, something gave you peace beyond all understanding. We all have something to share and experience. And so the job of the church filled with the Holy Spirit is simply to witness, not to change anybody's mind. And so a lot of times we say, well, you know, I'll let the preacher tell them. If, if God wanted me to tell your neighbor, you would put me as that person's neighbor. But he put you there because your story matters. How God has worked in your life matters. And God wants to use you to the ends of the earth so that people would glorify him. And so that's our job. That's what Psalm 95 says, doesn't it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so our job is to say, man, we've tasted that the Lord is good. You got to taste it too. You know, my wife makes the best chicken pot pie and it's best on a cold day. And I love chicken pot pie, especially her chicken pot pie. And I was trying to tell my friend Jason, but he doesn't like chicken pot pie. And I'm like, dude, you got to try this chicken pot pie. But then he tried the chicken pot pie, but my wife made it. And he's like, you know, that's pretty good chicken pot pie. That's how it is with us in the Lord. And if we're willing to witness to food and movies and Star Wars and Marvel, whatever that comes out, ought we not be witnessing to the work of the Lord in our life? And so church, when's the last time you'd witnessed 
to the greatness of God. Can I get a witness? Amen. When is the last time we shared with people who don't know 